What is it that I really want you to take with you today? Love the church. Love the church. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, and thank you for being here for worship. I trust it's a habit, routine of yours every day, every Lord's Day. We need to be together. If you're watching online, we hope soon you'll be with us. There is a different kind of strength that comes from being together. My thanks to my friends from Springfield coming over. Thank you. That was a former life of mine a long time ago, for sure. And my brother and sister-in-law and, and uh, whole family, just it's, a, it's such an honor to um, preach to you today and be here. You know, it's uh, one of the reasons a news ready to retire is I stick my foot in my mouth all the time. And it's out there, you know, it's on social media if you blow it, and you can take yourself under real fast. So I, it's ready for me to get out of here. I know I'm going to make a mess of myself because you know me. You know how I... But I was thinking about that, and, you know, Luke is a slick preacher. I mean, every word is well chiseled. Here's some things I know you won't hear from him. Verse uh, number 10, there's nothing I love more than meetings. Number nine, sure hope those Cubs win today. You'll never hear that, will you? Number eight, of course I remember who you are. <laughs> Number seven, I wonder what Steve would do. He could care less what I would do. Number six, if only I were shorter and less ripped. <laughs> Number five, I so regret all those times I threw Steve under the bus. You will never, ever hear that. Number four, I promise I'll never, never talk about Missouri and farm life again. We know so much about Missouri, don't we? More than we ever wanted to know. Number three, I think I'll change morning church to something new and fresh. Doubtful. Number two, I can't wait to wear my new tie Sunday. And number one, this will be a shorter sermon today. Fat chance on that one, right? It makes me think, what it, yeah, see, they know you. Where are you? Um, the, um, maybe when you think about your last time, it's like, what do you want to say of all the things you could say? I, I was walking with a, a woman back, uh, walking with a lady who's taking back to pre-op this week for a woman having surgery. I pray with her. And so I said to this lovely lady, so how's your week starting? She goes, oh, I'm really sad. My, my preacher just dropped dead. I said, really? Said, yeah. He's 62. He just retired. And I told her, I, I'm, I'm not happy that I met you today. <laughs> and uh, made me almost rescind my retirement letter to the elders, you know. But I did, and here I am. And what do I, what do I say? I, I thought about people in the scripture with their last message when uh, Abraham said to his son, uh, encouraged him to continue the blessing, passing the blessing forward. Um, Jacob said to his sons to, to just live a good life. And then uh, Moses his last message was, choose life. Jo Joshua said to the people, be, be faithful and be obedient. Uh, Jesus said uh, to his disciples, look, just, just be one, be unified. Paul said to the Ephesian elders when he left them, shepherd the flock well. Uh, he, he, he wrote to Timothy, his last message, preach the word. Jesus' last message in the scripture is, just come to me, come. So, so you know, what do you say? Well, as I, as I think about the world today and the culture today, what is it that I really want, to, want 
you to take with you today. I, I feel a little guilty. I don't have a text for you. I'm not preaching a text of scripture today, but, but I'm teaching you a truth today I want you to carry with you. And this is this. Love the church. Love the church. We live in a time where there's so many disparaging messages that are communicated about the church. The world loves our flaws. It loves to point out any hypocrisy it sees. It, it loves to tell about fallen preachers. It loves to, to, to talk about churches that are a mess, or, or, or they, they, and they hate that we, claim, that we claim the truth in Jesus Christ. Uh, they love to charge us with being judgmental, intolerant people. But also, even within the church, you know, there, there, there are people that are naysayers, people who are believers, and there, and there are people who say, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Friends, the New Testament doesn't know anything about that kind of thinking. To love Jesus is to love his church. And those people who are saying that, they don't understand the New Testament. They don't understand the bride of Christ. They don't understand how valuable the church is to our Father and to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Years ago, there was, I mean, years ago, there was a man who, who, who just disliked anything we did here, disliked me. And he was not slow in communicating it. And finally, one day I said, if, if, we, if we're so bad here, I'm so bad, why are you here every time? He says, because as bad as you are, you're not as bad as anybody else. <laughs> well, I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> you, know? You, you know, there are, are bloggers and vloggers and those who write books, and they, they say some things that we need to hear, but they say it with such cynicism and sarcasm, and they beat up the church. And I think there's a way that we can encourage each other, face our flaws and our weaknesses, admit them, and I don't, I don't, I, we shouldn't put blinders on, but we need to do it in an atmosphere of hope and working together and, and loving one, one another and, and doing better for the name of Christ. That, that's why I landed here. I want to tell you why I love the church and why I want you to love the church. First of all, I love the church because of its founder. Now, Jesus Christ himself, Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And he's doing it all around the world today in places we've never heard of before. Doors opening everywhere. He said the church would be built on the central confession, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He's not just a rabbi. He's just not a good teacher. He's, he's not just, just a, a guy who's a good friend for you when you're having a bad day. He, he's the one the world is waiting for. He is the son of David. He's Abraham's chosen seed. He's the one that was sent to deliver us from sin. He is, he is God himself in the flesh. He came to meet us and all our ugliness and our, and our shame and our embarrassment and, our, and, and all that we did to, to violate God himself. He came to preach good news to the poor and the captive and those in prison and those, those who were blind and those who, who needed just a good work. The poor got a good message, got good hope. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, your sin and my sin. He, he is, all things were created through him, the Bible says. And when he, it comes into our lives, when we welcome him to our lives, we become a new creation because of him. He is the embodiment of everything God planned for from before the creation of the world. 
He knew our condition. He knew our difficulty. He knew we would be hopeless without peace, without joy, without anything to get up for in the morning. And he longs to have you and me deeply wound in his will and his purpose in his life. Do you understand that today? This is the founder of the church. He knew we needed one another. And that's why he called people like Paul to go everywhere and to plant churches. And by 300 AD, half of the urban centers in Europe were Christian because of it. This is Christ's vision. He built it on the confession that he is Lord. He's Christ. I love the church also because of its message. You know, our, our, our country is a very benevolent one. I'm thankful to be a part of a country like this that has so many humanitarian organizations, but nobody deals with what we deal with. Nobody talks about judgment. Nobody talks about sin. And nobody talks about shame. Nobody talks about uh, eternity, about the soul of the person, the immortal part of us. No other, no other organization does that. Only this organism, the church, the living body of Christ on earth. Watership Down is a novel about rabbits, and they're getting displaced because uh, a suburb is going in. And so these uh, rabbits have to move, and they end up in a pen. It's, a, it's the strangest thing. They don't have to forage for food. There's little pellets that appear. And so they go eat these pellets, and they get fat on the pellets. And then one of the new rabbits notices one day that Fuzzy, the fattest rabbit, has gone. He just disappeared. And no, he doesn't know what happened. He says to a, uh, one of the older rabbits that had been there, well, hey, what happened to Fuzzy? Well, I don't know. Every now and then, one of us just disappears. Well, you never ask anybody? You ever wonder about it? Nah, we just go on. And you know, there are people in the world just like that about eternal matters, about the soul. Here's the most important thing we could be dealing with, matters of the soul, the part that's eternal. And and most of the world doesn't even thought they're just busy. There's noise coming from all directions and advertising and and calendar demands and rushing everywhere and going to work every day and paying bills and raising kids without any thought given to so what? Why are we here? Where are we going? How did we get here? Who cares? What's after this life? And we get to address that. I do a lot of funerals, you know, and, and there's three kinds of people in the audience. There's the person who, who I know is a believer. They look right at me and they nod their heads, they smile, they may mumble an amen along the way. You know, uh, then there's those who know I'm telling the truth but aren't living it. And they're real shifty-eyed. And they kind of look at me and they look away and they look down. They look at me and they look down because they know, they know. And then there's the third group and they, they don't want to deal with, they don't, they're screaming inside, get me out of here, because they're so uncomfortable dealing with this enemy death, and they don't have any tools or resources to deal with it. And I am thankful, I am so thankful that the church deals with that in our message. I love the church because it affirms human worth and value. Psalm 8 says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. But according to our culture, people are in different categories of worth and value based based on beauty, based on giftedness, based on money, based on appearance, based on any number of things. That's that's not what the scripture says. You know, in in recent years, there's been a a, I wish I'd never been born philosophy that has grown up in different parts of the world. Raphael Samuel is a 27-year-old Indian who, who two years ago sued his parents for giving birth to him. 
2006, this philosophy grew up out of a philosopher in South Africa named David Benatar. He wrote a book entitled, Better Never to Have Been, The Harm of Coming into Existence. He asserts life is a procession of frustrations and irritations. Many lonely people remain single while those who marry fight and divorce. People want to be, look, feel younger, and yet they age relentlessly. He quotes Sophocles who said, never to have been born is best, but if we must see the light, the next best is quickly returning whence we came. He says that bearing children is irresponsibly cruel Intrinsically cruel and irresponsible. I feel sorry for him. God's message is you are of inestimable worth. It doesn't matter what house you came from today or what car you drove here or what what kind of job you have. It doesn't matter what shame you have carried with you, what dark things you've done, what you feel guilty about and you have a hard time getting rid of. You are of intrinsic inestimable value to God because you were made in his image. Do you know that today? And that's true of every single person you will ever meet anywhere in your life. And the more we as a church see people that way, the better we will be building bridges to them and embracing them and welcoming them. I trust we'll increasingly become a church like that. I love the church also because of the conscience it impacts. Our conscience consciences are impacted. When we sin, our consciences are marred. Let your conscience be your guide is the worst advice you'll ever get. Unless and until that conscience is reshaped by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes into us and he reshapes us. We have been marred. We've been hurt. We, 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 we've been abused by Satan and the evil when we've fallen in to his lies and his practices. We believed the wrong things. And so when it happens in our, our conscience, that we can't trust them. So Christ comes in and he gives us a new mind and a new heart. And he, he, he helps us know who to be. And that's what the church is. Wherever we go, you, you are on a campus, college campus, you, you children in elementary schools, in, in middle school and high school, you are a conscience there. Because when you're born again, your, your nature changes. The Bible says, Jesus taught, you are salt and light. You're not, you don't just sometimes salt. You don't sometimes turn the light on. By nature, we are changed. And so we're keeping the world from spoiling. And everywhere we go, we are the presence of Christ. That's what the church is. That's why we're called the body of Christ. Because everywhere we go, we are his hands and, and feet and mouth. And it, 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 matters, it matters extremely how you respond in every conversation, how you do every business, how you treat anybody who has not treated you well. It makes a difference. And as we do that, we become a conscience to the world. John Wesley preached the gospel of Christ mostly to the poor uh, in a great awakening and movement of God in England. And among those poor, there were a few influential people. One was William Wilberforce, who served in Parliament. And the word of God penetrated his heart to the point that he realized how evil slavery was. And so for 50 years, he stood in Parliament trying to undo that evil practice of, of buying and selling human beings. Two weeks after he died, and 25 years before Abraham Lincoln 
announced the Emancipation Proclamation in this country, the British Parliament voted to end slavery as a result of this one godly Christian man who wanted to make a difference. And he did. Don't underestimate the difference you can make by being salt and light right where you are. And maybe it's just going to be one life, but you're going to make an impact. That's who we are. We are the church, the body of Christ. And, 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 and we are like the true north of a community, of a school, of a neighborhood, of an organization being Christ there. I love the church for the practical difference it makes. You know, I've often confessed that preaching is not easy for me, but what compels me is Christ because he is the gospel. We don't just believe a doctrine. It's just not a list of tenets. You can go to our website and see what we believe, but it's more than that because it's in a person. It's in Christ. When we, when we engage somebody, it's not to believe what we believe. It's to love whom we love. And the more we are drawn to him and know him deeply, the more we care about what, what he says is true because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we will stay convicted that nobody comes to the Father except by him. Christ is the good news. I have seen the gospel breathe new life into the spiritually dead. I have seen the gospel restore more marriages out of brokenness. I have seen the gospel erase shame in people's lives. I've seen the gospel grant addicts hope. I've seen the gospel shower grace on those who confess their sins. I've seen the gospel restore joy, enable the beaten down to rise up. Uh, the wounded to walk and the scarred to testify and the proud be humbled and the humbled lifted up. I've held the hand of the elderly who die in confident faith when they breathe their last. And I've also, I've also been with the couple who lost a baby, continued to trust in the Lord despite the depth of their pain. And the teenager who despite her being mocked, holds on to her convictions of who Jesus is. I've seen the gospel empower so many who were at the end of their rope, but they trusted the Lord and the word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And I am so blessed for having been in that position to see that over and over again. What a difference, a practical difference the church makes. And we continue to do that around the world. I mean, that, but people, people are what we're about the best way we praise God is how people get to know him. I mean, today, probably watching as they usually do, are Sarah and Ryan Hardy. I mean, they're over in Papua New Guinea, and Ryan is spinning. We support them. Every day, Ryan is translating the scriptures for the Sob people. You know how many there are? 4,000. Now, why would we do that? Because we're the church, we represent Christ, and we want to make a difference, even in that small group of people at Papua New Guinea. We want to affirm their worth. We want to let them know the message of the Lord. We want them to know how, how worthy they are of, of God's attention because he, they're made in his image, because, and a, the practical difference will be made in their community, in their culture as well. And I love the church because Christ loves the church. You know, we're, none of us here are married to perfect people, right? I mean, my wife really has a lousy one. I mean, she's got a big sinner in her life. And we, we all marry imperfect people. We all marry a sinner. 
any, any couple I give premarital counseling to, I, keep, I remind them of that. You're marrying a sinful person. As much as you love each other, you will hurt each other. That's, that's part of it. Uh, it's part of human relationships. We're fallen, right? Um, and I, I know my wife's sins. She knows mine. But don't you dare walk in my house and tell me about my wife's sins or her problems or her weaknesses, right? That, that's uh, it's inappropriate. You don't have a right to do that. And I want nothing to do with you if that's how you're going to treat and speak about my wife. Friends, we are the bride of Christ. He loves his church. And we do not do him uh, well when we speak disparagingly of the bride of Christ. Do, do, we, do we understand there are problems? Sure we do. We know that. And, and you may have gone from church to church because of issues, but we never speak poorly of God's people. There is no profit in that. Even, even together, we know, we know we're imperfect. We know we let each other down. The, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the, the Corinthian believers, I mean, that, talk about a messed up church. The Corinth church was the most messed up church you could ever visit. But he never, he never, he spoke boldly, and he challenged them, but he still called them the church, and he, and he lifted them up, and he continued to grieve and pray for them. And friends, I, I want us always to be a church like that, that despite things we might not disagree with, things we don't get, we love the church. I love what someone wrote. Our culture is in a downward spiral, but the culture shall not prevail. Our nation is at a spiritual low, but Christ's kingdom advances against the night. Our testimony has been sullied by compromise and scandal, but his blood has not lost its power to cleanse. His name has not lost its power to save. His word has not lost its power to conquer. His covenant endures, and his church shall yet rise to trample the gates of hell and declare his inevitable glory. Christ will build his church. Now, before I close, let me just a few personal comments why I love this church. Why I love Plainfield Christian Church. First of all, I love you because you who are here in 1987 took a risk on a 32-year-old who had never been a senior minister. How many of you were there then? Boy, like seven or eight. <laughs> of you seven or eight, who didn't vote for me? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Shame on you. No, uh, you, aff you affirmed me as a senior minister. And I was no more fit to do this than the man of the moon. But you took a risk. And uh, I, I want to thank you for that. I, I also love you because you made it so easy for our kids to love the church. You know how many preachers, families, uh, they grow up and they don't want anything to do with the church because they saw the way the church treated their dad? I've heard those testimonies all my life. My kids are all here today. Their spouses are here, except for Anthony. Anthony's a preacher over on Lafayette Road at Common Ground West. He should, he's right where he should be. Um, and my seven grandkids are here. And all of them love the Lord, and they're all serving the Lord in local church. I want to thank you for making that possible. Yeah, that's for you. That's for you. That's for you because um, you've loved them. You've embraced them. You let them be kids. You didn't expect them to be perfect, and they weren't. Um, you, 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 just, you just were there for them. And by blessing them, you blessed Diana and me so much. 
I love you because you let me into your life, your pains and your sorrows and your dilemmas, your angst. I had the privilege of holding your hand uh, before surgery and to lead many funerals of people you love. And I value that. I officiated at many of your weddings, counseled you when your marriage was going, it was in stress. I heard the struggle you had in raising kids. You shared your anxieties, your sins, your wounded spirit, your struggling faith, and sometimes your darkest shame. Thank you for that. I love you because you love the word of God. This church has never wanted sermon light. You've never wanted easy teaching. Uh, you've always wanted me to tell it like it is, and I was able to do that, and, and thank you for wanting the meat of the word. I love you because of your generosity. The elders here have always been generous in remuneration for me, but you as a congregation, you know, a lot of preachers don't like to preach about giving, financial giving. Not me. I've always loved preaching, giving here because you wanted to hear what God said. As long as we were honest with the scripture, and this is why Jesus, God, Jesus said this, this is why God taught that, and this is why, and this is what it means, you always responded. And these 35 years, we've never ended a year in the, in the red. And I've never had to send an appeal letter out. When we've had building program campaigns, we've had four of them. I never had to plead. Even our leaders said, oh, don't worry about money. You just preach the word. I love that freedom. You know how many campaigns, financial campaigns, building preachers are about buried because of the weight put on them? Not me. Thank you for being so generous. And I love you because of your service to Christ in his church. I've watched some of you and you just put me to shame when I watch all the hours you put in serving behind the scenes and you don't care if anybody knows. I, don't, I didn't even know that's a job in the church till I walked by you and think, oh, somebody does that? Yeah, I came in one day and somebody was, was dusting pews when, when we had pews. And uh, do you do this? Yeah, every Monday I'm here. I had no idea. Thank you for all you behind the scenes, being rock babies and working with little ones and coaches for, for our students, people who pray constantly in ministry. Thank you. And I love you finally because of your grace toward me. You have been such a forgiving church. I failed sometimes to return a phone call or an email. I've asked over and over again, embarrassingly, what's your name? For sermons that needed more work, you've forgiven me. For bad humor or words spoken thoughtlessly in conversations. For missed appointments. One man reminded me last service, do you remember you forgot my wedding? <laughs> he said, yeah, we were waiting on you here. And my wife said, do you want to call and see if he still wants to marry us? <laughs> I forgot a funeral one day too. Elders, thank you for forgiving me when I said something stupid at a meeting, which was quite often for having a bad attitude at the table, a bad idea. You've forgiven me for so much. Thank you. All in all, any preacher would be envious to be your preacher. My regret is when I look over our audiences today, there's a few of you I'll never know. I hate that because I love getting to know people. I love people's stories and journeys. And sometime down the road, long time, I'll probably come back and visit and there's going to be a lot of new faces here. I'm going to love that. I'm going to love, I hope you're here. But there are a lot of new faces that you've welcomed here. 
And you know what makes it rich, richer, the, the richest is this, this, these emblems we take. We're going to do this right now, so get yours out. Because, you know, we, don't, we haven't always seen eye to eye. You haven't always liked me. And that's part of human relationships, isn't it? Um, I have offended you sometimes. You probably offended me, me more than you. Um, but every week we keep coming at this table. You ever get ticked off with your family? But when, but when Thanksgiving comes, you're still at the table, right? You ever get a little irked, but you still get a Christmas present? You know, why? Because you're family. And that's why this, these emblems are so valuable and precious to us, because we're family. And we won't always agree with everything. We'll be disappointed. Any church you ever go to, the leaders will disappoint you. Or someone will hurt your feelings. That's part of human relationships. But what keeps us bound together is we're always coming back to this table to share this meal together. Because out of obedience to Christ, he said, I, I don't ever want you to forget what I'm about to do for you. And the men, the men that night, they didn't know what he was talking about. They were puzzled by everything he was saying. They just argued about who's most important in the kingdom. They were far from understanding the cross. He said, I don't want you to forget. And I, church, I don't want you to forget how valuable and precious these emblems are. This is not just a ritual. This is not just a habit we do. This is life at the table with the host at the table, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we, we are so grateful that that you invite us to sit with you, to eat with you. We thank you for this emblem you gave us, bread, so simple, so common, so worldwide, that anybody who knows Christ as Savior can have a piece of something today that represents the bread of life. And I thank you, Father, that we share this bread together in a common bond around the brokenness of Jesus. And so we thank you, and we pause right now to remember and to be grateful together as your family at the table. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love and our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.